Take your Bibles and turn with me. We're going to start in Leviticus chapter 26. And I will again this week be mentioning many verses, but there are three passages I'll give you right up front. You can go to those and we will be regularly in those passages. The first is Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 12. Then we will look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, and work our way to 7 verse 1. And then our Bible reading passage, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. And I want to encourage you this morning, the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, is our God. Now, I hope that thought alone overwhelms you. The one who created heaven and earth, the one who knows all things, the one who is circumstances, transcends our life. They dwell among them. So Leviticus chapter 26, before we read that, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for bringing to us to this place this morning. Thank you for being our God, for calling us to be your people. Help us to see a fuller understanding of the meaning of this passage and a better understanding of its application to our lives. I pray that you would convict us, you would encourage us, you would motivate us, you would strengthen us, you'd give us new, a new spirit of perseverance in the face of trial and difficulty. You'd give us fresh wisdom to respond to our situation. Father, that you'd give us a new boldness to preach truth, the gospel to others. Use this message this morning to strengthen us, to bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not going anywhere. Just getting my notes. That's been my week, all week long. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 12. Actually, what I'd like to just do for you is read verses 1 through 12. You follow along as I read out loud. Consider our nation, consider the United States, consider where we are at. Leviticus 26, I may have misspoken there. Verse 1 says this, Ye shall you no idols, nor grave an image, neither rear you up a standing image, neither shall you set up any image of stone in your land to bow down unto it, for I am the Lord your God. Do you think our nation has trouble with idolatry? Verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. Do we do a very good job of keeping God's Sabbaths and reverencing his sanctuary? Thank you, Edith. You got it. Not That's not Edith. Sorry, Elsie. Verse 3, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and do them, then I will give you rain in due season. And the land shall yield her increase and the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. And your threshing shall reach into the vintage, and the vintage shall reach into the sowing time, and you shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safe, safely. Have we had trouble with rain here in California? I don't think it's climate change, personally. Verse 6, and I will give peace in the land. I will give peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none shall make you afraid. Do we have that peace in our land? I will rid evil beasts out of the land, neither shall the sword go through your land, and ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword, and five of you shall chase an hundred, 
And a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. For I will have respect unto you and make you fruitful and multiply you and establish my covenant with you. And ye shall eat old store and bring forth the old because of the new. And I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And here's our verse. I will walk among you and will be your God. And ye shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt. Again, verse 12, I will walk among you and will be your God. And ye shall be my people. Now there is in your uh, bulletin in the middle, there was a, a section for notes. And many of you have notebooks and you take notes all the time. If you're not in the habit of taking notes, and you have a pen with you, grab this piece of paper and, and write some things down as we go along today. Today I'm going to begin a new series, and it won't be a particularly long series, but I can tell you that as a nation, we've got problems. Now, I'm not saying the United States is a bad nation. We can be grateful for the freedoms we have here, for the prosperity we have. But we've got problems, too. And the answer to our nation's problems is not political. Now, politics has something to do with the main solution, excuse me, the main solution to our nation is the intervention of God. And I don't want us to lose my personal reading is taking me through the book of Isaiah. And of course, following Isaiah, we'll go through Jeremiah. Those two prophets are separated by about 100 years, 120 years. But both of them have the same message the, the uh, Jews, to the people of Judah, both of them say, listen, don't trust Egypt to get you out of this political mess. Don't trust the uh, Pharaoh, the, the, the king of Egypt. He's not going to be able to help you. He may say he's going to help you. He may say, I've got this. You need the Lord. Remember the story, Hezekiah turned to the Lord. And in one night, 180 Syrians died in their beds. On the other hand, after King, good King Josiah died in battle, his sons, his sons, uh, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, all those kins, they did not turn to the Lord. Remember, some of them took God's word, the words that Baruch had written out of Jeremiah's mouth. They took those words and he burned them in the fire, hoping to put an end to these bad prophecies. But it wasn't the prophecies that were bad, it was the people. And so judgment came. So our nation has problems, and we know the solution to our nation's problems, God and his intervention, his is his truth, his righteousness. But there's a second application to this passage that I want to remind you of, and that's in your personal life. Because if you're like me, you've got problems. Now some and sometimes it's yourself causing your problems, but you've got problems. And the to your problems is the same, and that God who charge all the wisdom you need to respond to your circumstances. He's got all the power you need to experience consistent victory over sin in your life. But you've got to have a relationship with him. And you've got to make sure that that relationship is Now, it could be that you feel a tremendous weight today. You feel pressure. I'm going to get to those of you who are not under pressure, but let me address those 
sure. First, you may feel some pressure of unfair to finger on some sin just consistently throughout the week, something he wants you to confess, and you're just with God about it. You say, you know, God, I think I know better. I don't think I did anything wrong there. Just, just leave me alone. As long as you try to hold on to that unconfessed sin rather than confess it and agree with God, you're going to feel pressure. It could be a, a family problem. I think problems with family are the most painful problems that we have. And the reason is, is because our family is so close to us. And because they're close to us, it's easy for them to stick a knife in our back. Now, if that Boy, my heart breaks for you. It really does. I don't know. I, I don't need to know, but I, I can guess that in a group this size, there's people here who feel that even maybe this week or even in the past month, a family member has betrayed your confidence, has disappointed you, has let you down, is going in a direction that you see is leading to destruction, and you beg them to turn around. You beg them to do something different. They're just ignoring you. That's very painful. Some of you have the pressure at work. Maybe you work at a job where you have, there, there are very high expectations for your work. And boy, you just dread even going in because you have no idea what is going to be put on you day by day. And it go, grew worse during the pandemic because not only did we have to worry about our work, but we had to worry about pandemic regulations and where we could go and whether we wear a mask, whether we had to be vaccinated, all these other additional problems. And if you, there's hope for you as well. For some of you, it could be a, a chronic health issue. It's just it's not going away. You've seen doctors. Doctors say, yeah, this is the problem. Or maybe they say, we don't know what the problem is. Your chronic problem is not going away. You're in constant pain. You're constantly fatigued. You have that uh, brain fog that we hear more and more about where you just can't think. And that can be but I want to encourage you this morning that if you feel that kind of pressure you can look to God and he can help you I am convinced and I want to convince you that God's grace is sufficient for all circumstances that whatever weight is on you God's grace is greater think of it like a submarine some may be familiar with submarines they they can only go so deep before the outside pressure of the water there in the ocean actually will cause the, the whole submarine to just crumple up like a tin can. The only way to prevent that is to make sure the pressure on the inside of the submarine than the pressure on the outside of the submarine. Now, I know I'm simplifying it. You've got a hull and all these other pieces. But you know what? God's grace wants to be the pressure on the inside of us that makes sure we're never overwhelmed by the pressure on the outside of us. Sort of like being in a race. Have any of you ever run a, a marathon or a half marathon? Any runners in here? Okay, just one. A uh, cup, two. Right. Good. I'm going to use this illustration because I have no idea what I'm talking about. I've never run a marathon or a half marathon. But if you're a runner and you're running in a long race like that, at some point your leg jelly, like you get enough air, your lungs start to burn. And what you really want to do is just quit running. Just stop. It's not natural for the body to run 26 miles or 13 miles. I don't even think it's natural for the body to run one mile. <laughs> just a certain age. And you just want to stop. 
just want to be done. And life can be like that too. These pressures pile up until you just, yeah, I'm going to be done. Whether it's I'm going to quit my job or I'm going to cut that family member off. or I'm just not going to talk with God anymore. We don't agree on this. I'm going to quit talking to him. What the pressure is, the temptation is just to quit. And God wants you to keep running. The Bible even uses running races as as a as a analogy, as a metaphor for the Christian life. And you've got to keep running. You say, where am I going to get the strength? You're going to look to God. I love Psalm 121. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills, from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which is heaven and earth. If you need encouragement, go to Psalm 21 this afternoon. Go to Psalm 21 this evening and read it. Meditate on it. Let that, those verses soak into your head. God wants to help you. So today and for the next few weeks, I want to remind you that about our nation's condition, which I, I, many of us are, or whether you're distressed about your own circumstances, which again, many of us are, or maybe you're distressed for someone else's circumstances, there is answers, and the answer is God. Now, I mentioned I was going to address you that don't feel any pressure right now. I mean, life is great in your way. You just found out you received a huge sum of money. And uh, you never have to work again, and uh, your health is good, and your family's healthy, and you have no pressures. Let me ask you this race. When is the best time to prepare to run a race that's going to be in the future? Today. You don't wait until race and say, oh, I better eat right this morning. I better go out and stretch a little. If you're going to run a marathon, if you're going to run a half marathon, if you're going to run what we call a 5K race, you better be running ahead of that. And I'm telling you this message is also direct. You may not currently be under pressure. You will be under pressure. You say, how do, I, how do you know that? Because James 1, 2 says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Not if. Not those of you that do. No, no. When you fall into diverse temptations. So I don't know what's coming your way, and I'm not predicting doom for you. I'm just telling you, even if you're not under pressure today, take some notes, meditate on these verses, and be ready, because trouble is coming. But secondly, we can reach out to others who are hurting. And I can guarantee you, you don't have to go very far to find someone who is hurting and needs a message of hope from the Bible. They don't need psychotherapy. They don't need to watch daytime television to get their problems solved. They don't need human wisdom. They need the hope we find in God's word. So again, let me give you that hope. Now let's look at this verse here in Leviticus chapter 6 and uh, verse 12. And I will walk among you, be be people, and then verse 13, I am the Lord God. This is telling us. It's telling us that God, the one who created everything, God wants to be your God. Now, again, that should overwhelm you. That should blow your mind. That's you say, of course, especially those of you, maybe perhaps you've grown up in church all your life, you've been exposed to this idea that God is our God. Of course, He's our God. He doesn't have to be. There's nothing compelling God to make us His people. 
God didn't pick us because we're great people. He didn't look down and say, you know, I need the cream of the crop, the best people. Okay, I'll take Scott. So. God, God wants us to be his people. And then God wants to dwell with us. So if I can personalize this for all of us, think of the verse this way, and I will walk, God says, he will walk among us. And God will be our God, and we shall be God's people. This theme isn't just found here in Leviticus. It runs throughout scripture. We looked at Revelation uh, chapter 21, but let me show you some other verses. And again, if you just want to write these down, meditate on them later, Psalm 100 and verse 3. Psalm 100 and verse 3. Many of you quote this one with me. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. We are his people. That would be the time of David. The time of Jeremiah. Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 24, 7. This is God's words through Jeremiah, Jeremiah 24, 7. And I will give them and know me that I am the Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God. For they shall return unto me with their whole heart. Jeremiah 24, 7. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Now, time of Jeremiah, what is Jerusalem facing? They're facing destruction. In a few short years, the city is going to be burned to the ground and all the people are going to be deported. But Jeremiah's message of hope from the Lord is that the Lord is still their God and they are still his people and that they will return unto God with all their heart. In the time of exile, now the people are deported. They're in another country. Ezekiel writes this, Ezekiel 36, 28. Ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. Ezekiel 36, 28. Every once in a while, someone will say to me, you know, preacher, those are great verses, but you know, those verses were to Israel and they really have nothing to do with us because we're Christians. We're not. Now, I believe that there's a difference between the promises, Old Testament promises given to Israel and the promises given to Christians. Let me show you 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I mentioned being in that passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. 2 Corinthians 6, 16, what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, verse 16, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Here's the same promise that was given to Old Testament Israel, that was for Old Testament Israel, now being extended to New Testament Christians, to you and to me. Let me read it again. I will dwell in them, walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. How close is God to us? Tells us here, ye are the temple of the living God, that God dwells inside of me. God dwells inside of me. Now, I'm not saying I can contain God. That's not the point. I can't contain God. He's infinite. What it tells me is God is closer to me than anybody else anywhere. God's right here. 
We can also look at Hebrews eleven sixteen, but I want to go right to Revelation 21. And hold your place there in 2 Corinthians 6. We'll be back. Revelation 21, verse 3. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. And God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now this is the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to dwell with his people, to walk among them, to be their God, and that they will be his people. When we get into eternity, like we've never experienced Let's let's think about that for a second. The first statement I want to think about is that God wants to be our God. God wants to be our God. Now, why is it that God wants to be our God? Well, remember, there's four things that are uniquely true about God that really form a, a foundation or, 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 a, or a platform on which all of his other attributes can be understood. The first is that God is the only uncreated one. God is the only uncreated one. Everything else that you see, that I see, that we experience, even things that we don't experience, angels, demons, all of those things are created beings. God is the only uncreated God. Oh, the only uncreated one. Yes, the only uncreated God, but also the only uncreated one. God is also the only infinite one. Everyone else, everything else has limits. Limits in time, limits in power, limits in wisdom, limits in knowledge. God is the only one who is limitless. Third, God is the only triune being. Just this week it came up again about the Trinity. I don't have time to, to, to stir that at all. But if you understand the Trinity, not if you understand God in three persons. God and God the Holy Spirit. And remember, Genesis 1, verse 26. God said, let us make man in our own image. Who is talking to in that verse? Before man is created, God's not talking to the angels because the angels aren't in God's image. God is speaking within those three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, which reminds us, which directs us, which points us to the truth, there has always been communication within the Godhead. God is a God who communes, who communicates with us. He's not a God who's far off and distant, and he's just sort of watching like we would watch ants build their little tunnels in ant farms. You, we, a bird, make a nest right under the eaves of our house. And we had a great time looking out the window and seeing it was placed just, just in a beautiful spot. We could watch the turn and sort of build that nest. And then they come and for a while we didn't see anything. And then we saw two little beaks sticking up out of that nest. And the beaks uh, got taller and taller. And pretty soon we saw two little chicks. And the mother bird would keep coming back. And then eventually the chicks were gone. We had a great time watching, but we had no impact on them at all. That is not God's relationship to you. God isn't up in heaven looking down thinking, oh boy, that's a problem. Let's see how they solve that one. Right? God isn't looking down. Boy, 
I don't know, that, that seems a little bit too heavy to me, but he'll get along. No, 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 no. God is actively involved in your life unless you don't want him to be. God wants to have a daily talk with you. I, if you are missing Scotty's uh, Sunday school, some of you attend Jesse's class. I'm not talking about you, but if you're just skipping Sunday school, you're missing a blessing. Scotty was mentioning this morning in the, in the brief section that I was listening to how he had a conversation with God yesterday about whether to run an errand or whether to study his Sunday school lesson. Now, I don't think he made the right choice. I think that was the point. <laughs> but he had the conversation. Did have a conversation with God yesterday about how to spend time? Because God cares. Now, again, I'm not saying how you spend it. I'm not saying you're accountable, accountable to me because you're not. But God cares how you spend your time. If you're not talking to God ever, if your conversations with God go something like this, God, here's all the things I need today, that's not really communication. God wants to be our God. He is the only uncreated one. He's the only infinite one. He is the only triune being, and he is the only holy one. But going back to that third one, God wants to communicate with us. That's why he says, I want to be your God. Because he wants to have that communication, that relationship, that fellowship with us. Ephesians 2.4 But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us. God chose us because he loves us. He said, I want to be your God. I'm getting ahead of myself to point number two. God wants us to be not only does he want to be our God, he wants us to be his people. We moved around a lot when I was a little boy. Um, my parents moved a lot. So I moved after kindergarten. I moved after second grade. I moved after third grade. I moved after fourth grade. I moved after fifth grade. We moved after sixth grade. And then they decided to settle down. So my daughter was asking me, you keep talking about this house on the hill, which is how we describe that house after sixth grade. To me, that was... Six years in the same place was like. It seemed like every school I went to, I was the new guy. And when you're the new guy at a school, when it comes time people for games, you just don't get picked because nobody knows. I mean, you could be the best player. They just have no idea. It didn't help. I was not the best player. So even after they started picking me, they realized. But in third grade, there was a fella, and I still do this. As an adult, I've wanted to go back, find this guy, and ask him some questions. Because in third grade, showed up, this guy named Todd, he would consistently pick me for his teams. Right up front, like in the first two or three picks. It was never number one, okay. But number two, number three pick. I want Scott. Oh, boy. how I just felt like a million bucks. I didn't even know Todd, but he wanted me on his team. Now multiply that by infinity, because God wants you to be because God wants you to be a part, to use a scriptural term, he wants you to be a part of his family. He stands ready not only to adopt you, but to exalt you to, to spiritual places in Christ Jesus that we, we can't even fathom in our minds. God wants to be his people. Again, not because we are great people, but God is a great God and he loves us. And then finally, he wants to dwell among us, within us. Now, there are two 
uh, applications, two ways that, that God intends this to happen. One, we see here in Revelation 3, in eternity, God wants us to dwell with him for all of eternity. Jesus said to his disciples before his crucifixion, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye shall be also. God wants us to spend eternity with him. That's an amazing thing. But I'm just going to set that aside this morning because I want to focus on the other understanding, correct understanding of this, and that is that God wants to dwell with us today. Go back now to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and note that ye are the temple of the living God. Ye are the temple of God, 2 Corinthians 6.16. The readers of this passage have understood when this passage was written, there was still a physical temple in Jerusalem, still a big building, big walls, big uh, uh, courtyard area, and more walls, pavilions, all kinds of places in that building. And it was considered to be where the presence of God was concentrated. Not that God was nowhere else. The God's people who understand his word have always understood that God is everywhere, but his, his presence was concentrated or focused on that building in a unique way. That temple, by the way, is gone today. Destroyed. But the Holy Spirit tells us that we are the temple of the living God. Not that God only is within us, because again, God is infinite. He's everywhere. But in a unfathomable, comprehensible way, God's presence is focused on where we are, within us. That's God, the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of us. That's God dwelling in us. But there's something that keeps that Holy Spirit from having his full influence in our life. We see in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, we're called to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with, be not drunk with wine, we're in his excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You see, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit is always inside of you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. But his influence can be, can be inhibited, can be hindered. We're not filled with the Spirit. We have the Spirit. He doesn't go anywhere, but we're not filled with the Spirit. And the greatest thing that keeps us from being filled with the Spirit is Second Corinthians chapter seven, verse one. Uh, we'll read the passage for effect. Second Corinthians six, verse sixteen. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Then 2 Corinthians 6, 17, wherefore come out from among them. This would be the sinful world that we live in. The, the people that don't know God, the people who are not his children. Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you. It's promised in verse 18, and I will be a father unto you. And ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Then chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, 
Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. God wants to dwell among us. We need to work to purify ourselves, to get rid of the sin, the selfishness, the rebellion that keeps the Holy Spirit from having his full influence in our life, keeps the Holy Spirit from filling us and directing us. Maybe you say to me this morning, Pastor, you know, you're speaking in terms, I'm not sure I understand. What do you mean the Holy Spirit, he fills us? You mean you don't commune with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit never says, hey, 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 I need you to do this. Or the Holy Spirit says, whoa, 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 don't do that. Because the Bible talks about grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. We, we, we put him in a room and we lock the door. We say, don't come out. Still there, he still dwells inside of us, but he's not having full influence because we are holding on to sin, the rebellion, selfishness, to our own self-will. I'm going to do it my way. And so God dwells with us. He wants to have lives, but he can't because we're living in sin. Now let me say this, and I've said this before, but write this one down. God does not want us to live with guilt. God does not want us to live with guilt. God does not want us to live with guilt. So if you have guilt, and when I have guilt, you know what that is? It's that light on the car that says, you've got a problem, you should pull over and stop right here and call your mechanic. Now, I understand those are called idiot lights. They don't tell you what the problem is. They, they don't even tell you exactly how to fix it. But what they tell you is it's time to stop the car and pull over. I mean, to pull over and stop the car and don't go anywhere else. Now, I'm not going to ask if any of you have driven with the idiot light on. But I know people who have. And then the engine burns up and the car won't go any further. And the mechanic says, well, now you'll need a whole new engine. Or you'll need a whole new transmission. <laughs> When that light goes on, you need to pull over, you need to stop, you need to call your mechanic. When you have guilt, you need to stop what you're doing and you need to talk to God about it. Now, it's true that Satan also brings false accusations against us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. So you preach, I'm struggling because I have all this guilt. How do I know whether it's the Holy Spirit or it's Satan just making false accusations? I got some great direction this week, and I'm going to share it with you. The Holy Spirit's conviction always leads us to hope and to Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit's conviction always leads us to hope and to Jesus Christ. The false accusations of our adversary always lead us to despair and to fleshly solutions. If you're struggling with guilt, the po- there is a possibility you're not even one of children. You're not even saved. And so you feel the guilt of your sin because you are guilty before a holy God. There's a solution to that. The solution is Jesus Christ, who died in our place, paid the penalty for our sins, rose again, showing his victory over death and over sin. Christians can experience guilt. I'm not saying we should. I'm not saying God wants us to, but we do experience guilt because we're not confessing our sin. 
We're trying to, we're trying to make up for it. God doesn't need you to make up for your sin. Jesus Christ has already paid the penalty for your sin. What God wants you to do is agree with him. That's what confession is. You're right, God. I'm wrong. Forgive me. And then he wants to give us freedom from that guilt. So when I'm experiencing guilt, I often find myself going to Psalm 139, verse 23. Search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Psalm 139, 23. Search me, O God. Try me. Know my thoughts. And then I find that consistently the Holy Spirit will say, here's the problem. Now I have a choice. Or I can agree. Yep, you're right. Give me. And guess what? That goes away. Because I'll say it again. God wants us to live in guilt. God has provided for the forgiveness of sin that we need on a daily basis. If we'll have that communication with him. God says, I will be your God. You shall be my people. And I will dwell in you. But there's a second thing that often causes us to lose that communication with God. And it is a sin, but it's a particular kind of sin. And I want to mention it. And that's pride. I can do, God, I can do this. I don't need your help. I can do this. You just, you just, I tell you what, God, when I have a real problem, I'll talk to you. No, 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 no. God wants to talk to you all the time, every day. He wants you to have that grace, his Holy Spirit uh, influencing you, filling you, the, 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 his grace flowing through you to respond to life. And again, if you say, well, I just don't feel much pressure. Life is going so well for me. Remember, the best time to train, to run, a long-distance race is today. Don't wait until you have a problem. Learn to commune with God when things are going great. Just thank Him. Praise Him. Recognize all the little ways that He has blessed you. But we need to humble ourselves because when pride comes, it cuts off God's grace. God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So let me give us a, just boil these down to a few lessons here. God is our God. So why are we distressed? Why are we overwhelmed? By our circumstances. When we know that God, and he gave us grace and wisdom and, and strength to respond to them. We're overwhelmed by our sin by our struggle with sin, when we know that God has the victory. God doesn't need to go out and win the victory. Jesus Christ won the victory at Calvary. He has it. He's offering it to you. Why are we distressed by our enemies? And I, yes, Christians, we have enemies, people who don't like us, people who are looking to harm us and hurt us. Even when they think they're in control. Don't be distressed by our culture. I, it, it burdens me. My heart is heavy to see the wickedness of our culture. But God is bigger than that even. Where sin did abound, Romans tells us grace did much more abound. You say, but you just don't understand how wicked it is out there. No, I don't. And I'm glad I don't. But I can tell you 
Our sin wants grace. Be distressed. God is our God. Second, are we working to purify ourselves? Are we working to get rid of those uh, sins that the Holy Spirit puts his finger on and says, you can't do that or you must do this? Are, are, we even, are we even communicating with the Holy Spirit? Do we even know where he is in our hearts? And I'm, I'm mixing metaphors there, but do we even know where he is? Because God wants to dwell in us. He does dwell in us if we're his children, but we can, we can lock him in a room, not pay any attention to him. And God does not dwell with those. God does, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, let me state this correctly. God, the Holy Spirit does not fill those who are or refusing to confess sin. God, the Holy Spirit does not fill those Christians who are already full of themselves. So what are we doing to purify hearts, to, to, to see consistent victory over sin in our lives? Dr. Matt is going to preach to us. I don't know the topic of his message, but I do know we're going to do this tonight. I'm going to ask those of you who are in attendance tonight to gather as families, those of you that are, are, are single without a family, to gather a family, and I'm going to ask the, 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 the men of our families to pray. Because men, we ought to families in prayer. Now you say, well, my husband doesn't come. That's okay. We'll attach you to a family. But I'm going to ask the men of this church to take some time in small groups to pray. But men, you're going to have a really hard time praying if you've got a problem with your wife and you just won't fix it. You're going to have a really hard time praying if you've offended your wife or your wife has offended you. And rather than you've said, you know, I'm just, I, I, I'm not going to touch that. Now, I know because when I'm in the, I always say, I'm going to wait until my wife comes to me. Don't do that. Don't do that, man. If there's something between you and your wife, you go to your wife this afternoon and you say, would you forgive me for? Or if there's an offense, pray, ask God to give you wisdom to state what the offense is clearly. But listen, God doesn't want um, uh, offenses to remain between a husband and a wife. I can tell you that. Maybe you're a father and there's some of you and a child. Something you've done that has been wrong, unjust, evil, and, and you need to go to your son or your daughter and you need to say, would you forgive me? Maybe it's an adult or daughter. You go to them and say, would you forgive me? I shouldn't have done this, but God doesn't want there to be something sitting between you and your children. Teenagers. Maybe there's something sitting between you and a parent. Maybe there's something you know about that your parents would not approve of, but you're going to do it anyway. And the Holy Spirit puts his finger on your, on your heart and he says, listen, you, you can't do that. You've got to talk with your parents. Do it. Let's work to purify our hearts and start it with, this is my point today, my application today, starting with those family relationships. Starting with the people that are closest to us. Starting with the people who are most likely to knife us in the back. Because we believe that God's grace is We believe that the Holy Spirit give us the word to say and the wisdom to what family situation is. I don't, I, I, I've just recently, it's just come out 
several different directions. How probably in a family, they'll just sit there and they'll just fester. Like an underneath the surface of the skin. You know, an infection on the surface of the skin is actually doctors to deal with. It gets underneath. See it. But when it erupts, it's going to be ugly. It doesn't erupt. The spirit with your wife. And can be right with your husbands, ladies. Help you be right with your children. Teens, he can help you be right with your parents. This idea that parents and teenagers ought to be at odds with each other, that there's some generation gap that, that can't be closed, that's, that's false. That's the wisdom of the world. God says, I will be your God. You will be my people. And I will dwell in you. Let's live that out in our lives. I'm going to give you an invitation this afternoon, and I just want to remind you what the invitation is about. In a minute, Caleb's going to come, and he's going to lead us in a song, and as he leads us, I'm going to ask for some of you to respond. If you are not a son or daughter of God, you don't know that your sins are forgiven, you don't have that close communication with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit doesn't even dwell inside of you. When we, do, when we sing a song of invitation today, I encourage you to come forward and talk to me. I'll take a Bible, I'll match you up with someone, they're going to take you to a quiet place and they're going to show you how you can know your sins are forgiven and you have eternal life. How you can be a, a child of God, the Spirit's going to live inside of you, He's going to say, yep, you are one of my people. You're one of my children. I will be a father unto you, He says. And you will be my sons and my daughters. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. Invitation is also for you that are Christians. And as I've preached this morning, the Holy Spirit has said, okay, this is it right here. This is what you need. Respond to the Holy Spirit. Agree with God. If sin to confess, then confess that sin. If it's a person to go to today or tomorrow or this week and say, hey, I was wrong, forgive me. And say, hey, I've offended me. I've been bitter. And I, I'm, I'm asked, God has asked me to tell you what this offense is. You're going to need to pray for wisdom. Don't go yell at the person. Talk to God about it during our invitation. The sermon is not intended just to tickle your ears and make you think. The, 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 the purpose of the sermon is to communicate a message from God through his word to us so that we can respond. Father, thank you for the words of your book, the Bible. 